You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to episode nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. And we're going to do something a little different today. We've invited a special guest to both uh, introduce music and beer, taking over the podcast. This is an experiment. We're not trying to put a lot of pressure on him. But we're hoping this is something we could do more frequently down the road. And so, Abigail, tell us a little bit about who we have here with us today. Yeah. So we invited my good friend, Matt Martyr, who is a tour manager and merch guy for several nationally and some even internationally touring bands and an overall live music enthusiast and super fan and uh, someone who also likes craft beer. So we've asked Matt to come on, choose an album for us and choose some beer for us and talk about an album that he is actually connected with. So Matt, welcome to the pod. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. This is the first time I've been a podcast guest, which is very fun because I also love podcasts and craft beer and music. Uh, Dad, Matt told me one time that after he met me, his craft beer consumption like tripled. So that's a conservative statistic. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. So Matt, tell us about the album you picked first Mm -hmm. and your connection to it and why you chose it for us. So Tides of Man was actually the, the band that kind of gave me my first shot at national touring at actually being being on tour with a with a band that gets to, to tour the, the country um, and can one afford to do that but two afford to hire a crew person once you get to a certain level so they kind of gave me my, my first big break so it's it's just really it's just really personal for me in that way even though it's different than maybe what you guys usually have on the pod I think it's um, the music is still pretty kind of accessible uh, it's not too crazy um, and I, I, uh, a big part of like what my involvement in music in general is, uh, the hope that I can kind of get people in, into the music I'm into through slowly getting them into accessible bands that they get weirder and weirder. And, and hopefully we, we, we kind of hit a middle ground. So that's a, that's a kind of a summary of why I chose it. This is totally different from anything we've ever reviewed on the podcast before. We'll get into that as we review the songs. But um, tell us about why this was a rebirth and how this was different from Tides of Man's previous albums. Tides of Man is actually, they're, they're from Florida, actually. So they, they kind of they got big in the, in the Florida, like hardcore, hardcore, post-hardcore scene. I won't get into genre labels uh, real, real hard here. But they, they're from Florida and they kind of blew up in that scene. There's a big hardcore scene in Florida. They used to have a, a singer. This album that we're reviewing right now that we're talking about today is instrumental. But they had a singer uh, and they were this very technical band, a lot of fast paced music uh, in your face. The singer, I mean, he's got screams. He's got really a high pitched, super unique voice. Um, and so what happened eventually, I won't get into the details, um, because they, they don't really talk about it anymore, but they and the, and the singer split up in the middle of a tour back in like 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, completely amicable, but it happens with bands all the time, you know. They, they split up with the singer, and uh, because he has such a unique voice, they did kind of try to replace him, and they didn't end up finding someone, I guess, that, that fit or find someone they wanted. And uh, they all like instrumental music a lot. You know, behind the vocals on the early albums, they're still shredding doing awesome stuff musically and um i guess they decided like oh we're still tides of man they ended up doing something 
instrumental because it's just the four of them without the singer, but way more chilled out, a totally different vibe, just um, kind of kind of more ambient, a lot of, a lot of uh, slower songs rather than their, their older, faster stuff. So completely new sound. And um, no one kind of knew what to expect. And it ended up being wildly different and kind of a really refreshing album in, in the new world of like, in, in the, in the post-rock world where before they were in like the hardcore world. And uh, I think it brought a lot of, a lot of fans of technical heavy music over to a, a chiller ambient side of things and bridge two worlds there. And they, they took a chance on completely changing, especially taking away your front man who no one else sounds like. And uh, mm-hmm. it was super cool. And I, I was uh, really into them before and after. So, Matt, the album that we are going to review today is their first as an instrumental group. Is that yeah. correct? Okay. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they're for, I think if you ask them, they, they would maybe say it's it's their first album. Um, not getting into, into semantics there, but uh, this album also, one of their guitarists, uh, Daniel, probably the member I'm closest with in the band. I hope, oh, I hope they don't get, uh, the other guys don't get mad that I, that I am picking favorites here. <laughs> me, me, me and Dan just talk a lot is all. But it's Daniel's first time writing on, on a record for them. He was a kind of a touring member um, on the on the first two, for the first, uh, for like the second record with vocals. But this is their first, with Daniel being a huge part of the writing process. So that changed the sound a lot too. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the first of what Tides of Man is right now, so. Well, I think it's brilliant to lose your vocalist and then just say, who needs vocals anyway? <laughs> I think that's a very good attitude to have. <laughs> it's it's brave. Some could even say courageous, uh, mm, which yes. uh, played into well, the title for sure. So, and I did the thing that I that I tend to do, which is once I kind of dive in. So, just so you know, Matt, the way I do these, uh, listen to these albums when Abigail throws them over to me is, I listen to them with no knowledge of the band. I just put it in. I see the cover. That's my own and the title of the album. That's the only clue I have. And then I throw it in and listen to it. I think I, I think Abigail told me it was an instrumental when she made the suggestion. But I then, after I listen to it for a while and, and get some initial notes on the album I'm listening to, I will go back and play some of the other stuff. And so I did play the album, the original album with the vocals on it. I think there might have been two. I can't remember now. But I was wondering. Yeah. And uh, and I found that very interesting too. You know, so it is. It was an interesting shift to go from having the vocalist to not having the vocalist. It's weird. I, I was trying to picture those other songs without the vocalist where they structured the same. I don't think they were. I think they were, you know, as we talk about this album, the song structures are uh, complicated within each song. They're not traditional song structures. Yeah. And so I don't know that if you just remove the vocals from, say, that those earlier albums, that you would have the same sort of musical experience that you do with this album because they were structured traditionally, you know, verse, right. verse, chorus, verse, cor- you know, sort of that standard yeah. stuff. So um, I, I did find it, that transition interesting as well. Like Abigail suggested, it's just sort of an interesting thing to say, well, we're still us with one member missing. That happens to be the vocalist, but we're going to soldier on without the vocalist. You can't, Queen uh, couldn't do that, right? They had to replace, <laughs> right? They had to get uh, a yeah. singer to come in and, and basically perform those, uh, those tracks as if he were Freddie Mercury. Um, so that's, uh, and you know, even Van Halen can switch out a vocalist, but they couldn't play their earlier songs without the vocalist. And, and so this is a kind of a big change and a big risk, but it's interesting. Now, I also understand that you are responsible for the beer selections, which I have sitting here in my cooler. And I would really like to get into that too, before we get into the music, because I'm really thirsty today. Yeah, so we have three 
beers from First Magnitude Brewing in Gainesville, Florida, where I'm from, and I also live still. And that's where I met Abigail. Yeah, so, we buried the lead. Matt was born and raised in Gainesville, Dad. Oh, wow. Born there yeah. as well. Yes. yes. Yeah, you really did bury the lead. Hometown hero, Matt Martyr. <laughs> that's that interesting. I'm, someone has, yeah, has probably referred to me that way. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I was born and raised here. I, I, I'm probably going to talk about that a little more as far as like how I started getting into music and stuff. But as far as the beers go, we have... A, uh, it's called the Square Lager. It is in collaboration with the restaurant Satch Squared, a new pizza spot that just oh, popped up. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's got that same font as Satchel's. It, it's got to be. I think it's, yeah. Makes it's sense. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to crank that one open while you're describing the other two. Oh, let's let's do that. We have tall boys again. So if you yeah, recall. Three tall boys on another <laughs> afternoon adventure. It's going to be 90% be like, beer. <laughs> Good thing the album's 55 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's really good. Yeah, I haven't tried any of these yet. Mm. I feel like through this project that we've been doing, Dad, um, I, I've noticed myself getting smarter about music. And I've noticed myself getting better at thinking about why I like the music I like. And I'm getting better at identifying musical methods, right? And I'm getting better at hearing different instruments in a song. And um, like this album <laughs> is like a super challenge, right? We have yet to break down an instrumental album on the podcast. We talk a lot about music or um, we talk a lot about lyrics um, in these episodes. And so this was like, a real test of my music nerdery, you know? And so I'm going to liberate a truth then. Oh, what's that? So I told you before that the first album I bought was the Magical Mystery Tour. And I, I yes. point of clarification, I have to say that was the first rock album I bought. Oh, oh boy. The very first album that I bought was the soundtrack to Jaws in 1975. Okay. Cool. And <laughs> and you, I, I think you have to go back in time and realize how important the music was as an element to that film, how that film almost doesn't work as well without the music. And I'll explain mm -hmm. why, because there was a we we assigned the shark his own theme. Right. And when the shark is around, you hear his theme. Right. And because they had a mechanical shark that didn't work well. They almost had to use that as a character because mm. until late in the movie, you don't really see the shark. It's only implied that he's around and it's implied a lot because of the music. So I was fascinated by that music. And I was, what, 1975 was like 13 years old. And so I bought that album. I still have the vinyl album here at the house. Played that thing a million times. Bought a couple more soundtracks for similar reasons, bought the Star Wars soundtrack. Another one where the villain has his own theme. Correct. And as a result of that, I have listened to quite a bit of instrumental music. So I didn't come to this sure. without a working knowledge of instrumental music. Right. But what's interesting about that, when you have a soundtrack uh, album, you are recounting scenes from the movie as the music's playing. So you have yeah. a story that's in your head that you've seen on screen. And now I'm playing, say, 
the Imperial March of Darth Vader. And I know exactly what scene that is in the film, right? Or I'm playing a song called One Barrel Chase off of the Jaws soundtrack. And it's completely a sequence in the film with a five minute song. And you can see the visuals yeah. in your head. So what was challenging about this album for me was I don't know the story. I don't have a visual in my head. I know the artist who wrote this album did. I didn't. Right. It made it hard to... Um, I have a complicated relationship with this album because of this. I really liked the album, but I had trouble grasping onto specifics as I listened to it sometimes because I didn't have, I was spoiled as a soundtrack fan because I had visuals already provided to me by the film. Mm -hmm. And here I'm trying to provide my own film reel in my head or what's the story here? What's going on? And I struggle with that. I, I don't feel like I even have, even looking at the song titles and trying to listen to the individual tracks, I don't feel like I had a, um, I built a visual thing in my head. So what made that interesting was if I sat and listened to the albums at my desk, if I was working and playing it as background music was awesome. If I sat and listened to it to analyze it, I struggled when I ran or biked with this phenomenal. And my favorite thing to do this album is ride my bicycle. Wow. When I say I have a complicated relationship with the album, it's like I can completely envision myself playing this frequently on my bike down the road because it worked out perfectly as a biking song um, and as background music. Uh, but to sit like give it a solid listen, like I listen to albums and go through the lyrics and, and sing along and that kind of stuff. Probably if that was my goal, I wouldn't play it so much. So I had the exact same experience, dad. I said, you know, it's amazing to have on in the background at work because it doesn't pull you out of your focus. You know, it's just a nice vibey kind of background track. If you were to go on a road trip with someone who you thought you'd be talking the whole time, it would be perfect for that. Or like a game night where like you just want something on in the background, but you're going to be, you know, playing a board game. It's absolutely perfect for that. But to sit down and analyze it exactly like you said, I, I knew that I enjoyed the music and I could tell you how it felt in my body to listen to it, but it's difficult. It was difficult for me to sort of analyze why. So maybe our resident nerd on this episode, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> can enlighten us a little bit. Yeah. That's, so that's awesome. So, so it's funny. I listened back to, to one of your earlier podcasts just to get a feel of like what you guys like in music and 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 how you discuss it and 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 work the beer in there too and stuff and uh <laughs> it's funny because i remember abigail saying in, in one of the episodes like that you're meaning agnostic i think yeah i did say that hyphen mm -hmm. it yeah meaning agnostic so like you know lyrics could be there and it's just like it's a it's a it's a fun part it's a fun way to interact with the song and a lot of you know especially if vocals are more fast paced and percussive but that the the, the meaning is kind of like you, you don't you're not going for it right away i'm the same way with with music with lyrics too and so with music like this it uh it kind of enhances that you you're still going to listen for something it's still music it gets inside you and and, and you feel it right. but it's a cool way to let the other like all four of the background members shine in this band they're they're all the foreground members um and how they interplay with each other and stuff uh you know it's two guitars a bassist and a drummer so how the guitars are kind of talking to each other you you hear all that all that extra stuff i find it uh, it's sort of a it's sort of a rock version of jazz yeah like yeah i, lis I listened oh you're so moment. right that is my music taste in a nutshell uh, you're at so least, right <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so that that definitely describes like what I love about music and a, a lot of instrumental music, at least for me, but also, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I've been in, in this community for a bit and I find a lot of instrumental music. A lot of times those bands are uh, sometimes it's called like music for musicians because, you know, vocals is what connects with most people. And then it's like for instrumental stuff, if you're if you're a guitarist in the crowd, you're staring at, the, at what the guitarist is doing. You're staring at his pedal board. With instrumental music, especially something like this album, uh, you can explore different guitar tones and, and stuff like that. So it's it get, it does get a bit into like the music for music nerds kind of category. But this one in particular, and a lot of what's called post-rock is I think a little more accessible. I will make one other comment. It plays like one giant, it, it's divided into these tracks. Yeah. But to me, it <laughs> plays like one giant album. I always say that because if you take, you know, certain tracks, they change two or three times within the single track. Mm -hmm. I had to play it a lot when I was out on SoundCloud and SoundCloud has a version of this where they don't break it into tracks. And what's interesting about that is if like, I, I'll give the example if I'm on my bike, I don't really know when the songs are changing because right. even within the song, it's a piece, it might be three pieces. Pretty much. And so <laughs> the, the track yeah. break is almost, I would say it comes across as random you know, that there's, what is it, 10 tracks, maybe 11? 11. Um, the change between the tracks doesn't really matter because even within the songs, there's these small pieces. So it's like, let's say there's 30 different movements through the whole album. Three of them might be in this song, two of them are in that song. Some of them play a little more consistent. Um, so that made it, again, hard to, when I'm going through and saying, well, what's my favorite track? That's a tough call on this one because within a track, yeah. there's three maybe pieces of music or three movements within the song. So that was an interesting exercise to sit. And I, again, I'm sitting at the desk where I can read the track list off the off my album that I have downloaded on the computer. And I'm just like trying to sort out, oh, that's all part of that same song in order to pick favorite songs. So uh, it was a really interesting exercise. It's uh, it's funny. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's kind of songs kind of bleed into each other and there's like three movements within one song. So, uh, and that's true for all, all the, all the tracks, I think, except for the title track, uh, which is could kind of stand alone. It's funny because, um, and you talk about a first impression, it's just the music and how do you glean more meaning out of it, you know, fr from there um, without really having to listen to it a lot. Well, that, that first track, the title track, is the, the, the single they put out for the album, just one single. And so after years of sounding like what they used to, which I'll, you know, I'll play during this podcast at some point, then they put out the title track as the one single, which is maybe the slowest track on, on the record. And so they had to give a first impression to their old fans who is their entire audience. So they don't want their old fans to leave, but also like bringing in new people. Mm -hmm. um, not that this is the reason you're right music but you do hope it touches people and uh they they had got a lot of attention but before this record and they kind of you know hopefully you want to keep going as a band a lot of bands don't get the opportunity to tour the country um you know it's a small percentage uh of all bands that exist right, you, right. people just don't know the small ones who don't get out there so um they had to really put out their new sound and, and try to summarize it in one thing and it's cool because i think this song was was the first new thing they wrote uh, or at the very least, all we know is that's the first new thing they put out. They did some live stuff on something called Audio Tree. You might know something about this when we get to it, Matt. 
Yeah. And uh, Young and Courageous is one of the tracks uh, from the album that they did live. I'm on. so happy you watched that. That's and awesome. so I pulled a bunch of those uh, video clips, Abigail, which obviously I'll store on the web page and we'll put in the show notes so people can go watch that. They also did some stuff that was fun live from quarantine. <laughs> and uh, two of my favorite songs, they did videos too, believe it or not. And one of them was uh, done on this live from quarantine uh, uh, set that they did where they're on four different screens playing live. And it's really yeah, technically had to be very difficult to pull off, but it's re- the audio is fabulous. Yeah, I pulled all the songs that are on this album uh, that I could find on YouTube. And um, one is the Audio Tree, Young and Courageous. You were talking about that being the single. Actually, watching that video, I'll tell you that Young and Courageous, when we get to it, I actually enjoyed it better watching them play it live than off Hmm. the album. Especially for instrumental music. The live show versus what's on the record. I mean, it's two completely separate. So, like, my whole passion for music comes from most bands I discover, at least back in the day, I would have to see them live first. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know this band existed. So Tides was, uh, well, I knew Tides before, but this new version of Tides, I actually booked them. And so r- right around the time this album came out and then you see all these songs live and it's like, oh my God, game changer for all of them. Yeah. And that show in particular, the first one I, I, I booked them at was uh, this tiny little stage in Gainesville, the smallest venue that was in town. Um, and so they're right in front of our faces. It's, it's packed. It was amazing. So, so seeing it live changes everything. It's sort of like listening to classical music. I can listen to it and it's fine. And that's usually I play it as background music. But if I go watch an orchestra performance, I always love it. Like to see it live. Yeah. And I'd say the same thing about jazz. I, I listen to, to a lot of jazz on records. But to go and watch a jazz performance in a small club is fascinating. And so I think that adds the visual cue that you need sometimes for instrumental music is, yeah, you almost have to see it live in order yeah. to really fully appreciate it and to fully appreciate the effort that goes into producing it or, or, or making that sound come out of those instruments. So we should have a, some initial notes on our first beer of the day, don't you think, Abigail? The Square Lager by First Magnitude? Yeah, that sounds good hey, to Matt me. Matt may have drained his. I just watched him pick up what looked like an empty can. He's he's, he's <laughs> still going i think it's uh, sweet and smooth and very easy to drink it's really good i agree it's it's pretty much a picture perfect lager you know it's like the definition of a lager (laughs) so do you want to rate that now abigail or should we finish him up and rate him in a song or two no let's rate it matt if you were to rate this on a scale of one to five using quarter point increment what would you rate it (laughs) a la untapped Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's oddly specific and sounds like... <laughs> well, that's what we do here. That's, uh, that's what we do here. That's our goal. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Matt, this is crucial information, actually. Yeah. Um, Untapped does not sponsor this podcast, but they really should because we name check them an awful lot. That is crucial information. So the, um, <laughs> the more people who use the word untapped in the podcast, the, the more help. <laughs> yeah. nice. Is that the goal? Here? I think so. I think, I think that's how that works. Hey, best, best of luck with, with scoring that sponsorship. Uh, Thank you so much. We're trying really hard. We'd like to eventually retire to only do this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's make it happen. Um, yeah. Quarter point increments one to five. Um, here, I'll coach you a little bit. You have to have a midpoint. So Abigail and I both use a different scale. So I'll just put it in perspective. I use three, 3.5 means I would drink this beer again. That's about ah. as basic as it gets. And for me, that's a 3.0. 
And Abigail does okay. 3.0 for that right smack in the middle of the scale. So you kind of have to pick your middle point and go up or down from there as you rate stuff. And you'll yeah. get better at it as you go. So Sure. No, yeah, I, I like this uh, operational definition. This uh, Yeah, this is, this is necessary. Um, I'm a scientist, so I have to be oddly specific in my head. Yeah. I just like dropping the phrase operational definition. So there's that. Uh, um, yeah, despite being like a massive music person, uh, Matt currently works as an engineer, bizarrely. So operational uh, definition is probably one of yeah, comes I mean, from that. I grabbed that from like AP Psych in high school, uh, which probably was the last class I ever enjoyed. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I am. A, I am. A, I have an engineering degree. I don't like being called the E word, though. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. It's, okay. it's funny because I have a medical degree and I don't like being called the D word. So we're we're on the yeah. same playing field there. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me let me rate this. Uh, yeah. So I like. Yeah, I'd say I'd say a, a three a 3.0, uh, a 60 percent is I would drink again. Uh, let's see. From there, I would give this a um, say a four point. Two five. Whoa! Coming out of the gate hot. My yeah. God, that's a high rating. Listen, to Abigail is giving you grief about it. No, no, not grief. I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed. I mean, you picked the beer, Matt. You know what you like, and you clearly did a good job. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna give this. I'm gonna give this a three point seven five. It's a good beer. Uh, it doesn't get a higher rating because it's pretty basic as loggers sure, go. Sure. Which is not a bad thing necessarily. It just doesn't have that extra je ne sais quoi, you know? I, I could bring it I could bring it down to a four, I guess. No, no. <laughs> we're not trying no. to pressure you into your you have to be we're not, <laughs> we're not trying to convince you of anything. You've got a three seven five. Abigail, that's a high one for you. I'm giving it a three seven five also, which is not quite as high of a rating as your three seven five, but um Loggers are probably one of my least favorite categories, and this is a good one. So would I drink it again? Absolutely. Did I like it? Absolutely. Uh, it's a little bit sweeter than some lagers. It's certainly better than the sort of mass-produced lagers in the U.S., right? Let's crack open the next beer, get our initial thoughts, and then let's do a few songs. So, Matt, tell us what's up next. This is uh, Once Bitten, Twice High. No, it's Chai. It's a chai spice amber ale. I, I love every amber ale I've had. I love. Uh, I I love chai tea. When I'm not drinking coffee, my caffeine of choice is is chai. So I'm very excited about this. And I have been looking forward to this one since you picked it, Matt. So I'm and yes. I haven't, you know, I haven't had any of it. So I'm really excited to try I it. I appreciate now. that. And I know Barry, you can't smell, but it smells very chai. Yes, I'm getting ripped off on the chai odors or uh, wow. Fra- we'll say fragrance. That's a pretty and that doesn't affect your your sense of taste. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure I it can, does. Well, I don't know if my sense of taste has gotten better because I've lost my sense of smell. You know how they always say, um, you know, your hearing is better if you lose your vision and that sort of thing. I don't know the answer to that, and I I pick out tastes in food all the time without having a sense of smell. So I'm not really. I don't think it really affects me. And it certainly doesn't affect my ability to listen to music. So <laughs> and with that in mind. Um, I, I really, really, really like this one. It tastes like chai. I mean, I have had, I think I've had one chai tea inspired beer before. Um, and of course, liked it very much because I love chai tea. This is quite spicy. Tastes just like chai. I'm really enjoying it. 
Yeah, my initial uh, response, the same thing, Abigail, for an amber ale. So again, amber ale isn't like I like amber ales, but I don't love them. Mm-hmm. For the same reason we talk about with brown ales, they they are they tend to be in the same window of flavors because of the, and I think the chai actually is what pushes us out of that. It, it, yeah. The addition of the chai moves us out of a typical amber ale. And so it's pretty tasty. It's a good one. Right. Yeah, like, I like it a lot. lot. Matt, how do you feel? Um, I mean, I got, I got the, the, the chai flavor kind of right away in that first sip and the smell. I think it's definitely got some serious diminishing marginal returns here. Is that I an think, engineering term? <laughs> economics, economics. I That's think. an economics term. Thank you. Oh, he's a jack of all trades. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, like the chai. I think you get used to it pretty quick. Granted, chai is very aromatic. And I think your sense of smell is the first thing that that acclimates uh, and, and becomes and becomes dulled uh, the, the, the more the, the more you get um, exposed to it. So it's probably just that. What you're saying is you have to rely more on your sense of taste, not your sense of smell. Right. Welcome to my world, Matt Marner. That is. Okay, thanks. Uh... <laughs> thanks, Dad. It's very interesting. I will say I agree with you as I'm taking a few more sips. Um, so the can says amber ale brewed with Yapon Brothers Florida chai, vanilla, and orange. As I'm taking more sips, I'm getting less of the chai spice and more of the orange. Yeah. So that's interesting. For sure. Dad, yeah. any, uh, I, any... I, the, 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 I get more of the vanilla at the end. All right. Let's talk about track one. All right. Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. it. Matt, you have a clip picked out for track one. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. I've tried to, I've tried to, uh, select to make it, um, enticing enough, but Hey, let's, uh, let's see what's up. Uh, the first track is desolate, magnificent. So it's just an intro track to kind of, to kind of set the scene. Let's, uh, let's listen. You picked my favorite part of the song to play. Cool. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of picked the part near near the near the end of the track where it, you know it kind of builds quietly, uh, mm-hmm. not with without a lot of structure in the beginning, just some guitar kind of bleeding in, swelling up, and then uh, just four big hits on on all the drums, all the guitars, all at once, um, to say like we're here. Here's this brand new thing. It's a thesis statement. It's a thesis statement. Like like he- here's here's what we sound like. Big guitars. Lots of reverb. These are our emotions laid laid bare for you. It's a little dark because you don't know what to expect. It's it's got a, it's got a lot to be desired. A, a very short, a very short little uh, little taste there for for maybe what the vibes of the rest of the album is going to sound like. As the old guy in the group, what does the title make everybody think of? Desolate, magnificent. I actually have an answer to this. So during my last birthday, for my last birthday. Um, During the whole shutdown, I went on a solo road trip to Indianapolis for my good friend Megan's wedding. And along the way, I stopped at Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. And I've sort of always been fascinated by caves, dad, ever since we went to Cave of the Winds and Carlsbad Caverns. And Mammoth Cave is, 
I think the biggest cave in the Western hemisphere, but it definitely on the continent of North America. Oh, wow. And I, I had always wanted to go. So I went on my birthday, I did a tour of Mammoth Cave and I bought myself this mug that says grand, gloomy and peculiar wow. because I thought this described me quite well. <laughs> I am a little bit peculiar, <laughs> certainly very gloomy and gosh, dang it. I am grand. So I bought this mug for myself and desolate and magnificent, I feel can be synonyms of a couple of these words here. I'm going to tell you what I instantly thought of with this, because remember, I'm always looking for visuals. When uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, 1969, we all know that Neil Armstrong gets off the lunar module and says, it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But nobody remembers what Buzz Aldrin said, who's the second man to land on the moon. And he got off and he went, it's magnificent desolation. And so I saw the title and I thought, oh, it's on the moon because I'm looking for visuals. That has to be on purpose, right? The whole slow intro and the the kind of moodiness. It was a very moody track for about 80% of the track. And then there's the kick in, which to me is I'm on the moon. And that was the visual that I ultimately connected to this track just based on the title. And it's funny when you held that mug up. Read that mug again, Abigail. Grand, gloomy, and peculiar. Grand, gloomy, and peculiar, which, again, I would describe as the moon. Anyway, that's what that made me think of, Matt, was... uh, and I have had the pleasure of meeting Buzz Aldrin and I have an autographed photo, which I'll share on the webpage, Abigail, of that he signed where I had him write those words, magnificent desolation. That wow. Was, that was what I that's had awesome. him write on my. Oh, uh, dad, that's so cool. I had a similar, not such a visual image, but because, you know, because this is an instrumental album and you can't relate to any lyrics. I, I sort of just had to pay attention to like how my body was feeling with this music. And like, to me, that was the clue as to the story. And a lot of the songs actually made me feel kind of anxious, not necessarily in a bad way, but I think some of the musical tricks they're doing, you know, it's a lot of building and then bringing it down. There's a lot of sort of unrelenting, like walls of sound type sections and going back to the sort of jazz style there's a lot of syncopation and I think all of that combined with the fact that these are not traditionally structured songs you don't really know what's coming next it just produces this little feeling of anxiety and I felt like a lot of songs were sort of structured to feel like they were pushing you towards something that you're a little afraid of mm-hmm. and I definitely felt that in this song and I that totally relates to landing on the moon there's two parts of the song so there's the first part that's desolate the second part that's magnificent and uh as far as what the guitar is doing the little bend at the end of each phrase it reminds me a little like the twang there gives me a little little western vibe but imagine like a western on the moon or on some like erupt like past erupted volcano is the visual i always get with this like a dark gray like volcanic mountain and you're just climbing to the top and at the top you get the horizon of the sun just peeking over the top it's like it's like summiting everest or something and you get the magnificence especially with the quote about uh, with buzz aldrin like you said i mean they've got to have named this after see what we do here matt is we speculate the wildly (laughs) you know ultimately we have to get um corrections (laughs) 
So what's going to happen next is you're going to go, listen, you got to listen to this podcast, guys, and 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 we'll be all over the place speculating and they're going to come on and set the record straight. Yeah, we have we have no shame about being wrong and we have no qualms about being corrected. So <laughs> So this next track, it's called Mountain House. It's one of my favorites on the album, but uh, let's listen to it first. you hit my favorite part um this is far and away my favorite track on the album yeah. <laughs> like far and away the part you played i was like actually tearing up listening to it like that's how right. much i love this song right so dad you don't know this but this is the song that matt sent me to pitch me this album so we had talked about you know i had been speaking with Matt about him potentially throwing us an album and coming on to talk about it with us and he said you know here's this does it pass the Barry test? And um, I listened to it. And what I texted back was, okay, it was amazing. Like this was my intro into the album. And I heard this and I was like, this is totally different from anything we've ever discussed. But I love this so much that we have to do this album. Awesome. <laughs> this is, my God, such a beautiful song. And it gives me, Dad, the same hopeful optimistic vibes as Promised Land by Bruce Springsteen, Colorful by Jukebox the Ghost. And it does that without any lyrics. And like, I really had to pay attention when I was listening to the song, like, what is my body feeling that is giving me these, these feelings? And it feels like my heart like grows three sizes, like the Grinch whenever I hear this. I don't know what musically is doing that, but I love this song so much. So... First of all, I didn't know there was a Barry test. That <laughs> Here's a shock. This is my favorite song on the album. Of course. My simple notes that I took, and these were notes, the first pass notes, right? Up tempo, start slow, the bridges uh, are cheerful. You know, the whole thing's cheerful to me. But it's deeper than cheerful. It is deeper it's than that, but I just, that was my first pass notes. And uh, I would make the case this should have been the opening track. This is the thesis statement of the band. I really like this song a lot. This is where I got the vista, Matt, that you were referencing about climbing up to a mountain peak and seeing the sunrise and that kind of stuff. This is the song I found that on. But uh, yeah, my favorite song on the album. For, for everything you described, Abigail, and everything you discussed, I, I like this one very, very much. I, I would have put it as, as the first track as well. I remember listening to, to Desolate and being like, okay, I guess that's a weird way to start an album. But but what it is, it, it, the first track kind of sets you off balance and you don't really expect this coming right after it. And this is so uplifting. I mean, I, inside at least, and sometimes outside, I, I, I cry when I hear this song a lot, especially being on tour and watching this play live, and especially the first time that I saw it played live, uh, the guy, I mean, them, them on stage, they're, they're really digging in, just like feel, feeling this song. Yeah, so it sets the scene of like, the first track sets the kind of ominous theme, whatever. This track sets the hopeful theme. The rest of the album, 
like inter interweaves the two. It's interesting you said that. Let me. I want to point something out. I think the album title "Young and Courageous" speaks to the fact that, and again, here we are speculating. So we're going to have to do a. We may have to get a follow up so we can get it all corrected on the record. But when I look at "Young and Courageous," I think of them changing gears as artists, right? But when I look at "Tides of Man." I actually think of this album because it's the ebb and flow. You talk mm. about going back and forth between the, the musical styles and it's almost like high tide, low tide, high tide, low tide. And that, that speaks more to the name of the band than it does. Oh, so smart dad. Title of the album. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm just a rank amateur here. Don't give me too much credit. Well, and I, when, you know, we're going to talk about young and courageous a little later, but I thought that this track should have been called young and courageous. I think this is a better track for that title mm -hmm. than the track they actually titled young and courageous, because I think that this song is, you know, it makes me feel like I want to go do something brave. You know, it makes me feel bold. I will say that they have clearly in their head a story to tell with each song. Yeah. We don't know what that story is. Of course. And unlike a, and I'll go back to the soundtrack thing. Unlike a soundtrack where I've been provided a template to follow in my head with an instrumental album like this, I have not been. So all I have is the title to go by. They clearly built some story in there. You cannot play these songs live. You cannot write these kinds of songs without having a story that you're telling in your head. Right. And so I would say the choice of title is because they are telling us a very specific story. Of course. And we have to figure out what that is or do over interpretation like we're doing today to figure out what that is. So I, I don't begrudge any of the titles uh, because it's my job as a listener to guess what the story is they're trying to share with us through that music with that title in mind. This one's called Drift. It's another one of my favorites on the album. I'm probably going to say that a lot, but here we go. So Drift was not one of the six that jumped out at me on my first pass. I think this one had a little bit of a minor key to it, especially in the earlier part. It was a little bit moody at the beginning. And then it had an intense shift in the like the final act of the song or the final minute. I think that's probably where you pulled the clip, which was my favorite part of the song. So this is one of those songs. Again, I'm trying to evaluate a track. And because of the way these tracks are structured, there's pieces, multiple pieces to it. And so like, really, I should be evaluating the entire album again. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are 30 mini songs yeah. mm -hmm. lumped together in different pieces. So this was one that as it was packaged as a song called Drift or a track called Drift was not one of my favorites, even though I loved the back third of the song. Ab absolutely. Uh, yeah, like like I said, yeah, yeah. Pulling pulling 30 second clips for these was a little tough. But this song, especially being kind of one of the heavier, darker ones, Especially back in the day in 2014, when I was like 20 years old, that's what I was here for. Nowadays, I, I get a lot more out of the more uplifting parts too, especially after seeing them live. I don't have much to add to the discussion of this particular song other than to say that, Matt, we really missed a golden opportunity with this one because one of First Magnitude's yes. cold beers is called Drift. Yes. 
we should have been drinking that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I wanted to go for the, the limited ones. If I can't get a unique check-in on Untapped, I'm not even interested anymore. So yeah, yeah. yeah. You hear that, Untapped? We're here. Why are two of you doing this to me? Does that take us to the title track of the album? It does. It does. Um, one more thing I was going to say about Drift. It's kind of the, you know, we're pretty early on the album here. It's track three. But it's the first one where um, the bassist leads the melody, uh, especially early on in the ah. in the track. Like he really, you know, the rest of the stuff is like twinkly guitars in the background. You know, the drums are driving, but it's not really driving the, the melody of the ship. The bassist is pushing the melody there. And it kind of brings it back to uh, their, their older stuff back with the vocalists, which I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to play as a, as a lead into talking about the next song. But um, he was, as a bassist, he's super, super active. Yeah, so I guess we could go into the next track. This one is called Young and Courageous, just like the album title. It's the, it's the title track. This was the, the single, the first single they put out. Now that I mention it, I think Mountain House track two was also put out as a single after this. But this was the first single they put out, the first introduction of the band back into the public eye after three years off uh, after splitting up with the singer. So as a, as a kind of like pre- prelude to this, I'm going to play a little bit of kind of what they used to sound like on the album prior to this with, with Tillian Pearson singing. So this is a song called Salamanders and Worms off their album Dreamhouse from 2010. So this is what they used to sound like. So, you know, a little more aggressive. Singers is out in front. A lot of crazy guitar stuff going on. Almost a metal. I don't want to say heavy metal. Yeah. Down, but it's kind of speed mm-hmm. metal, metal, right? Yeah, very metal influenced. And so it's all the same members other than the singer playing that stuff. Yeah. So so taking that and then moving to this sound, Young and Courageous is the first thing they put out. And so this, what you're about to hear, is how the world got reintroduced to Tides of Man after losing a very important member to them in the middle of a tour, very publicly, like not, not super amicable split. And then this is what comes out of it. And this is Young and Courageous. This one's grown on me. It wasn't one that I circled at the beginning and it's grown on me. The more I've listened to it, this plays like a real song. First of all, it's a song. Mm. This one doesn't have any real musical shifts in it. it plays like a ballad. It's a slower song. You know, it's, it's um, probably one of the slower ones on the album. And I really got a better appreciation for it watching the video on YouTube, which I did kind of late in the game. But it's interesting. It's like the title Young and Courageous to have a slower song that plays like a ballad is kind of an odd choice. So I'm interested in what's the story that they're building there. Yeah, I definitely got a more of a pulsing, seething anger from this song as opposed to like a courageous vibe. Later in the song, after the part that Matt chose um, to the end of the song, the guitar becomes really pulsating 
the drums are slower and very consistent. And it just feels like, you know, when you're just kind of seething about something and you're so mad and like, you can hear your heartbeat in your ears and you're just like getting more and more furious about it. That's what that song felt like to me. Yeah. Interesting. You should say that actually on, on both of those points, as far as the story to tell and as far as the anger goes, like I said, this is, this is their first reintroduction to the world after what was, you know, they had to, to cut off in the middle of a tour at what at the time was like their peak. That's, it, that's rough for any band. But these guys had a, had a very quick rise into getting to, to, to tour the country, got signed to a super popular record label at the time and uh, having it all ripped away from them and having to literally start over. This is the track that when I, I talked to the members after getting to know them a little more, talking to Josh, the drummer about like, you know, when you wrote this song and this is the first new song of the new Tides of Man, he said that the uh, guitarist Spencer came to him and this is when he said, literally, I want you to forget everything you know about drums. And so what you hear in the, the whole song is the most basic rock beat. Just one, two, snare, one, two, mm -hmm. snare. Yeah, just start from nothing. That's nothing in drum world is that basic rock beat. And go from there and just build a little melody. The ba, 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 and that builds and builds throughout the song. And so when it comes back around at the end, it's that much more powerful. It's that like, repeating motifs. So so kind of how I see that as far as telling the story is like, okay, start from nothing. Let's explore. Let's explore. So you hear some other little guitar stuff happening in the beginning. And then that that major little melody like ba, 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 ba. that it's like once they land on that, they're like, oh, oh, this is our new thing. We're going with this. We're now young and courageous to try new stuff. And so by the end of the song, it's like, yeah, this is it. This is it. And so I'll play like kind of the ending clip, what it, what it, what it comes out to be. hear what you're saying where they in the beginning of the song they're kind of noodling around you know they're trying different things and then by the end it all comes together in a big way and they're all playing together and they sound amazing together and they've hit this stride this consistent sound i totally hear that they noodled their way into something great uh i don't think that that would be the trademark of the band <laughs> <laughs> i want that on a shirt uh, a fun thing about that one too, live. So they, the, the tour I did with them at least, but most times I've seen them, they end with that song. And in that, in that second clip I played at the end of that buildup in the little silence, Spencer, they're one of the, 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 the founding guitarists, he will just let out a yell, just scream before that big hit. And everyone's like, Oh, and <laughs> what I did during the tour, a lot of the time I would take, I, I would go up it was maybe a little cheesy, but I was stoked to be there. It was my first real tour. Um, I would go up right before the big hit at the end when the, the little pretty guitar melody kind of fades out. And then right before the big hit, I would go up just to, to pretend to be their photographer and get some footage of them with the, with the camera off to the side. And I would put the camera down. And right before the big hit, I would just headbang all my hair going everywhere to get the crowd into it. Because most of the set, they've been staring at this 
instrumental band they don't know. So I'm there just to kind of be a hype man. And I just threw my hair around all four guys on stage. They're going crazy up and down with their guitars at this big hit. That's like, this is our, this was Tides of Man now. And the crowd's just like, hell yeah. It was fun to kind of get involved that way. And then I have to run back to the merch table real quick to, cause everyone's <laughs> like, that was cool. Let me buy a shirt. And so I had to sprint back there. Uh, so much fun. So I don't think we've established, Matt. What? So you toured with them in what capacity? I don't think you. Yeah. Um, so I, the the main tour I did with them, this was in 2019. I was basically their their merch guy. It's kind of a lot of people's first like intro job into the the roadie world, the touring r- road crew world. But as such, being a merch guy for the opening band, uh, a lot of bands can't have, like. I got paid to do it. A lot of people would kind of just do it for free, but. I had to quit my job to go do it. Uh, I was young and courageous. So they, uh, you know, most bands can't afford to hire a crew, especially if they're opening. You don't get paid a bunch to open. So you have to wear a lot of hats. Not only did I do the merch, but that means I'm in charge of all the money because they're in charge of all their own gear because they don't have a crew of backline people. They don't have their own sound guy. So I ended up having to do like sell the merch, which means set up the table, keep inventory, track all the money handle all the cash, you know, sometimes be, uh, as a tour manager, like you're, you're the one finding hotels, uh, you're driving sometimes if you're with a small band that can't hire their own driver. Now we took driving shifts. We each had a, you know, a rotating driving shift bands that small, uh, at the time, you know, they've been around a while, but you don't make a ton of money doing just this instrumental mm-hmm. stuff. So we couldn't hire a driver. So driving was part of it. A little bit of video and photography, selling a merch, which is a way harder job than one might think. You're running your own pop-up shop, a retail operation every night. Every logistical thing that isn't playing the, the music, uh, that, that's what I do. So I finally got my in and, and it was incredible. And so from that point on, I was like, I realized like, oh, once you're in, this is how you make connections. On that first tour, I met other tour. I met the merch manager for King Crimson. Oh my God. Yeah, we're friends. Me and her, me and her are like friends. And I met her one day, one night, one show in LA. So I tried to do it for a whole year, all of 2019. Struggled a lot, went literally broke, but put myself out there, got more opportunities. And honestly, I could talk about this forever, so I'll stop. But I ended up getting a dream tour at the beginning of 2020, and it ended a week before quarantine. <sighs> so, so yes, it's my full-time job. What did you fall back on during quarantine? Yeah, just boring stuff. I'm, I'm Using like- his degree. I'm using my degree. I'm an, I'm an electronics technician working on circuits inside MRI coils. Yeah, that's not a dream job. Nope. Well, I think, I think Matt, this is a good time to sort of plug your next move, which is that you're moving to Nashville in, I think, July. Is that right? Uh, yeah. You're moving jobless. You're just going to Nashville because it's more musical connections, I assume. I'm moving with a band from Gainesville that I wholeheartedly believe in. They're more accessible than this stuff. They're a pop band. Their numbers online are really good. They're doing everything right. They're young, they're hungry, they're courageous. So I'm moving with them. Their manager lives up there now. He's been rubbing shoulders, rubbing elbows, making connections. So that is my next move is I will get a job in the meantime until touring comes back. But I am their road guy for the future. I'm in on the ground floor of something that I I truly believe in 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 the music world. That's fantastic. Um, I'm so excited, but terrified. I think before we move on to the next track, we should uh, rate once bitten twice high or chai. What are we talking? What, what are we saying? What, which one it's were we saying? It's chai, but I, I really, really like the, the guttural uh, letter you just said. That was very impressive. Again, Amber Ale. I like them. I don't love them. 
I mean, just as a category, just coming out of the category thing. I thought this mm-hmm. was a really interesting one. I liked the extra flavor profiles provided by the, by the tea. And uh, I'm giving this one a 3.75. I too am giving it a 3.75. I can't take it. I liked it a lot. It would be hard for me to drink multiple of these. It is a little heavy, mm-hmm. heavier than the lager anyway. Loved the spice. Thought it could have been punched up even more, but really overall enjoyed the beer. So it's a 3.75 for me. I would put the pressure on Matt because he doesn't know the scoring system. He doesn't know what we're talking about, but he picked the beer. So we're going to hold him accountable. Matt's just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy to, to beer here, um, to be beer. Oh, happy to beer here. I like that as a... Uh, as a shirt idea. Ooh, ha- I, we're just happy to beer here. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, I got to give it a, a 4.5 out of 5. Coming out hot. Well, I started... I started on the, I mean. because you gave the four, two, five. See, you're stuck with the lager. started high. <laughs> Look, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a case of sober mat inflation. Uh, I got really excited. But yeah, so this is better. This is better than the lager. I love chai. I love amber. Even, even the color makes it better for me. It's more fun to look at. Got to take all that into account. It gets a 4.5 out of 5, which is an A. It's definitely an A. So now I think that means that since we've all rated the twice- Hi, we're moving on to the third and final choice of the night, Matt, which is invasive species. And this is described as a foreign extra stout, which tells me when they use the word foreign, they mean Guinness. Oh, interesting. So we're expecting a dry stout. I'm expecting a dry stout. And as Abigail knows, because we've done this podcast nine times now, as we've discussed, you don't like a dry stout. This may not be in my wheelhouse. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll drink the whole thing, Matt. Don't worry. The snake, the the titular invasive species is a Burmese python, by the way. Which is an issue down here, obviously, in the Everglades where I'm podcasting this afternoon. So this one, like I suspect, it drinks a lot like uh, a dry Irish stout. Although I like it slightly better than I like a Guinness. It's got a little more sweetness to it than a Guinness does. It's roasty. It is roasty. That was the word that came to my mind, roasty. I get that pretty strong coffee flavor that I get in a lot of stouts, but a lot of time in a sweet stout, it's like a coffee with sugar in it. This is just a roasted coffee bean that you might be chewing on. I love coffee. It's my favorite beverage. It's, it's why I love stouts. Definitely getting it with this one. Probably sweeter than, yeah, sweeter than a Guinness, I guess. As far as most stouts that I drink, Abigail knows. I go for, I go for the ridiculous, desserty stouts. That's what I do. Yeah, so does. <laughs> I mean... It's a problem. This is kind of, yeah, it's a little a little drier. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? It's not as dry as a Guinness. Like, I'm not a Guinness fan, and I like this one. The only time I ever had a Guinness was when I was 19. I was in Dublin. I didn't have a whole lot of beer experience, and so maybe my first ever technically legal beer was Guinness in Dublin, and so I hated it, but... <laughs> <laughs> How could you have a Guinness in Dublin and then use the words, and I hated it in the same <laughs> sentence? All right. I think we should move on to the track five. Matt, what do you yes. got for us? This one's called All the Years. Uh, it's the shortest one on the album. Kind of a little fun interlude.
is in my top three on the oh, album. Wow. I got a very specific image from this one, actually. To me, this feels like driving near the beach very early in the morning, like as the sun is rising with all the windows down, you can smell the ocean and it's just starting to get light out. That is what I envisioned. This is what I'm talking about, about an album like this, right? It's easier to enjoy the music if you have a specific visual image mm -hmm. in your head, right? I like this one. It's not in my top three. I've it's another one that's cheerful and up-tempo is how I kind of described it. And what's interesting is it's like one section of one of the longer songs. Yeah. Like, like this is where I realized that the album could be played as an entire album with like 30 mini sections. I would actually like to play a part of the song that Matt didn't play because yeah. it reminded me, Dad, of a different song. And so I'd like to play them back to back and see if you heard what I heard. All right, let's find out. an interesting call Abigail because I, I would like to make the case that you could probably listen to an instrumental version of New Year's Day and enjoy it without the lyrics well but, and the part I played was you know it has a long intro yes with no lyrics right, right and right. that that you know piano or keyboard do 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 is exactly the same in both so this one's like driven by the bass it's a little different because it's got piano and acoustic guitar and not drumsticks used, but but brushes, uh, the, the kind of like slapping ah. sound you hear on the snare drum. Yeah, um, that's a jazz technique. Right. It's either brushes or, or his hands, something less uh, less sharp. This back to back with New Year's Day, that fits very well. There's the piano, the, the, the bass driving things, the, uh, the the minor key, but still uplifting. It's a uh, it works works very well. That's that's cool. what we do here, Matt. By the way, I didn't I didn't formally <laughs> cite the song, the second song that was New Year's Day by U2, my favorite band, as we have discussed on the podcast before. Shall we move on to track six? I think yes. so. People are anxious. Uh, this one's called Eyes Like Strange Sins. So I found this one to be, I, I liked the song on my first pass, still like it. I found it to be up-tempo, but with a, a little touch of mystery to it. I couldn't quite put my finger on why I felt that way, but it was giving me that sort of uh, sense of mystery. And I, I liked the way it was a very long song that built slowly over time. So this is one that really had a defined path through the movements of the song. It took me somewhere. 
That's interesting, Dad, because I didn't I didn't really connect with this song very much. Huh. I took almost no notes on it. I you know, I, I didn't dislike it. I just didn't it didn't really strike me like a lot of the other songs did. I did want to bring up we have another instance of religious imagery in the song title. I do like the title. Again, I'm looking at the title trying to get a story out of it. That sense of longing, that voyeuristic kind of thing is what I got out of the title. And I think that sense of mystery is built into the song. So I had a little, I didn't have a specific story. I just had those kinds of vibes when I, when I listened to it, but I really like the song a lot. Is it your top three, Dad? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. My top three. Okay. I definitely had trouble picking my top three. Really? Because I mean, my top one was obvious. <laughs> Mountain House was above and beyond. But the other two, because the rest of the tracks on the album blend together, and it's not that they sound samey, that's the wrong word, but they do all sound alike. You know, they sound mm-hmm. like they go together. And so it was hard for me to choose two more from that soundscape. I like your use of the word soundscape. I totally get that. That's exactly what this album is. And I think part of your problem with selecting individual tracks is we've already addressed, which is they take a lot of twists and turns. There's multiple movements within a song. Each track on its own. Is it really an individual track or is it part of the greater message here? But yeah, this one really, I liked it a lot. I like this one a lot, even though it's probably of all the ones that I like uh, the most different from the rest of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's the, uh, is this the longest song in the album? Um, Yeah, it is. Picking the clip for this one, I mean, there's <laughs> there's three songs in this song. Yeah, it's like seven and a half minutes, right? So a lot of the music I like is kind of in the uh, in like the progressive rock category. Long songs, basically, long songs with concepts that are maybe kind of nebulous. Uh, this one has got, I mean, the clip I picked starts out with like other songs. The bass is driving it. This one, the drums are driving it. The whole ending track to the song is the transition into like the swinging kind of triplet feel. Where it's a totally different song, mm-hmm. but they transition so well. Soundscape and like wall of sound, these terms we've been throwing around in this podcast a lot, those are used just just all the time to, to describe post-rock bands like this. The music nerd in me kind of always listens to an album as a whole piece. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, right. Most people don't, but I... I was very insulated from what most people do as far as music goes. I I got into music being influenced by jazz nerds and metal nerds who end up kind of being the same people. It just depends on the level of distortion in your guitar. So listening to full, ridiculously long pieces of music as a whole concept, I was such a nerd for that, that that's all I wanted. So like, I I know the guys in Tides, some of them are are kind of more progressive rock heads, progressive metal. That all influences like these long drawn out ideas. So you get a song like this, that's three different ideas and they all come together. But the whole album is kind of just meant meant to be this, this one piece. You, you hit on really one of the big tensions slash conflicts between the way that my dad listens to music and the way that I listen to music that, you know, we've always attributed it to the generational divide. Love it or hate it. This is a, a this entire album has to be enjoyed as a piece of art. Yep. There's a lot of things about instrumental music, especially post-rock, that it's like, this is an entire art piece. Like, sit down, zone out, take it in. I, I totally agree with that, but I feel like Tides of Man had to go back, and again, I'm speculating, that they had to go divide this into 11 pieces, 
for commercial purposes. They couldn't release a 45 or 55 minute thing yeah. that you would download as a piece. They had to create 11 tracks and go through the whole machination of what the music industry is demanding based on digital downloads. If this was back in the album era of selling albums, you wouldn't necessarily have to divide it into tracks. I'm sorry this is going so long, you guys. Okay, this is this track. This is track seven. It's called We Were Only Dreaming. This is another track they played on, on the on the big tour I did with them. Definitely a fan favorite. this song is absolutely beautiful we were talking before about how some of the songs feature you know one of the band members more for me this was the one where i heard the keyboards really prominently for the first time not in the part you played necessarily but later on in the song i think it's gorgeous dad did you watch the music video for this song i did i didn't you know i didn't have an image for this song but in the music video they're canoeing it looks like they're in tampa bay just like canoeing through the bay because they're from Tampa, right? After I watched the music video, all I could hear in the song was <laughs> we're canoeing through Tampa Bay. Like it feels like being on the water now that I, now that I know that that was the imagery they sort of intentionally paired with it. I didn't circle this one as a favorite on my first pass. Again, I think it's more because it's a slower, more ethereal song. And this is kind of interesting structure. It starts off slow it builds to a thing and it comes back slow. So again, we're talking about the different movements. This could very easily be three different pieces of music in this one song. Yeah, I just think this is a beautiful song. And I agree with you that it's ethereal, but it's ethereal in a more hopeful, positive kind of light. Yeah, again, uh, this is this is one of the ones that they played live on the on the tour that I got to see them 39 times in a row. So that's going to make me connect with it more. The cool thing about this, you mentioned the keyboard, Abigail. Uh, so when I saw them, it was just the four core members, the keyboardist being just kind of a, a side guy, the producer of the album, but he doesn't really tour with them much. But uh, a lot of the keyboard stuff, the high pitch stuff you hear kind of in the end of the clip that I played is upward pitch shifted guitar. Dan's got a, a pitch shifter pedal. When it, when it really takes off, I just remember being able to stare at Dan and his fingers like are creeping up on the fretboard. He's just ripping the high notes and that stuff really pierces out live. And everyone's like, oh, this is like, this is like the, when the song really takes off. Um, I remember hearing that and it's like this stuff that's all mixed pretty well on the album, but live, the sound is different because we didn't have our own sound guy. And so that's the cool thing about seeing it live. That's, that's where all my connection to a lot of music I love comes from. That's why instrumental music where if you're listening to it as an album, it doesn't really hit as hard as live. That's kind of why I got into this stuff was, was live is what, is what brought me into the world. Moving on, I think we'll go to track eight, Matt. What do you got? Hold Still, another one of my favorites.
So this is one that first pass I circled that I liked. It's in my, you know, top half of the album for me. It's not one of my three favorites. So we're really running out of tracks for me to give you the rest of my faves. It had a very short bridge that was a little bit slower and then it merged, you know, it just finished up and merged directly into the next track talking about how this is one giant album. And uh, I feel like the next three songs, Hold Still, Keep Me Safe and Parallel are one giant, even within the whole album, they're a block. This is my favorite section of the album is the next three songs. Yeah, this one rounds out my top three. This one and actually Mountain House have in common that they start really big and then they go into a slower bit and then they get big again at the end, which is not how a usual song that I like is structured. If it starts big, it's big all the way through. And if it starts slow, it might build, you know, to something big at the end. But I really, really like it. I mean, it's it's very captivating. I really like the drums on this one too, is the other thing I wanted to mention. I thought this was a strong drum track, but yes. Yeah. Top three for me, hold still. Definitely syncopated. The buh, buh, yeah. Buh, mm-hmm. buh. yeah, so good, so good. There's a lot of syncopation on this. Almost like yeah. almost every track I was like, oh, oh, oh. I actually had to Google the, I had to Google the word syncopation because I wasn't sure exactly the word I was looking for. But when I heard the word syncopation, I knew, you know, That's I knew awesome. that was the word I was looking for, but that makes me so happy. This is like, <laughs> this is like what I use this album for is to introduce people in a subtle way to like different musical concepts like this. If you don't believe you're listening to a nerdy podcast, I know Gabrielle said I Googled the word syncopation and Matt was like stoked by that. It's my <laughs> proudest moment making you Google syncopation. So coming out of hold still, which I, which yeah. I liked that takes us to track nine. Keep me safe. <laughs> Probably not a surprise, but one of my favorites the intro section to keep me safe what's cool about this off the bat as far as make, making it diff- stand out in a in a in an album of tracks that sometimes can sound a little samey the drums in the beginning are electronic it's a little different when that uh, it's very ominous feeling right electronic ominous it's kind of building up that snare comes in like oh oh we're in danger the song is called keep me safe so it's like there's danger here there's some serious danger that and that snare is the signal for it when the song really builds up and comes back in at the end after like a soft interlude, there's four big snare hits that signals like this monster's here again. But the vibe of the song after those four snare hits at the end is super uplifting and big and like we conquered this. I love this song. I'm glad you played the beginning, Matt, because I wrote down that the the beginning portion of this song sounds to me like it should be the theme song of a police procedural. And I think a lot of the things you called out, you know, it's ominous. It's darker. Those fit that totally. I just wasn't picking up on the reasons why. But I heard this and I was like, oh, this is the intro music to NCIS or, you know, any one of those. Right. It really sounds like it. 
Yeah, this is my second favorite song on the album. Really? I really, really like this song a lot. And I think a lot of things you guys are saying is part of that. I think the title, the story, Keep Me Safe, is clearly defined in the song. I had a complete story in this one. Interesting. Like you're saying. Could have been the law and order theme, like you said, Abigail. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I like the part, you know, there's that suspenseful, slower part in the middle. It's overall a nice rock and roll song. And it has a slower movement, not too long, but... And then it comes back and it's sort of like, I've avoided the guy who's stalking me, but have I? It's that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, this was a this one was right out of the gate, one that I liked a lot and ended up being my second favorite track. Nice. In the middle of this package, by the way, of... Right. Because Hold Still leads into this super well with the big hits, mm-hmm. but, but at the end, when those snare hits come back right after that, it goes into a major key for the first time in the whole song. Uh, right. And then right into parallels right yeah which is another one of my favorites well let's hear a little bit of parallels if you're ready for that matt This was number four or five for me. It just, just missed my top three. I, I really like this one a lot. I did too. I, it is very, cheer, I, another, I'll call it cheerful for lack of a better term, right? Up-tempo, major key. And this is my third favorite one. And again, I like this block of Hold Still, Keep Me Safe and Parallels probably more than any three song sequence on the album. I think that all played well together. So there, that that Mountain House was number one for me. And then the last one in this one, Keep Me Safe and Parallels, round out my top three. Parallels, it's definitely going to be in the top three for me. I don't know if you guys felt maybe a little different rhythmically about this one. This one's in, in, a, in a time signature of seven. Wow. Seven would not be a very common one, right? It's a it's an odd time signature, literally an odd number, but also odd. Like it, it doesn't happen a lot, at least not in music that a lot of people listen to, I guess. But yeah, it's in seven and, and that kind of stuff, like leaving a little beat off at the end. You hear something a little weird, a little off kilter, but it's done enough times. You start It, it starts to grow on you. They're leaving a beat off at the end, but it works. It's just interesting enough to, to keep your attention at the end of a long album like this. Well, and you can also make the argument, Matt, that you have to use every trick in your musical book to make each track interesting. You said, you know, there's a sameness to it, but you can argue the sameness is because it's four instruments without lyrics, not that structurally each song is the same. I want to avoid like sameness or samey because I feel like that gives a negative connotation that it really does not apply to this album. Maybe what we should say is it's thematic. Thematic, that's much better. And I guess that takes us to the final track, which is a really complicated track called Measure Your Breath. It's a big, another long one, seven and a half minutes.
Hey, Matt, can I ask you to play the exact ending of this song? The Like the last, I don't know, the, what you would consider the closing, maybe 20 or 30 seconds at the very end. Yeah. This is the only song that I did not make a note on on my first pass that's moved up into my favorite list. Interesting. And there's a section of it that neither one of us played that made me really key into this. So it's called Measure Your Breath. And I think this is a song about death. And there's a section in there where they use something that sounds like a siren of an ambulance. It plays very subtly for a long time in the basic music, you know, kind of this. And then there's a section where that's all you hear as if somebody's had some kind of an event. They've been picked up by an ambulance and they do not survive. And that end is why I think that's why I made you play the end. It ends, you know, in a slow, somber sort of ending. What a great complicated way to end an album called Young and Courageous. <laughs> If that's an, if that was their real intent, I, I don't know whether it was or wasn't their intent. It ends up for me being a very emotional song because of that. That's really interesting. I I didn't hear the siren at all. I didn't perceive that at all. I this was also one for me that I didn't really connect with right off the bat. The more I listened to it, the more, you know, I had the same kind of anxious reaction to this one that I did to the opening track. And hearing you talk about, you know an ambulance siren and being taken to the hospital, like maybe it makes sense that I had that reaction. You know, I just wasn't consciously perceiving that there was a siren sound in it. Matt, do you know the section I'm talking about? Is there any way you can, uh, I'm trying to think it's like half, maybe halfway through the song. I hear what you're talking about. I never, ever would have perceived that as a siren if you didn't bring it up. But I hear what you're hearing, the up and down of the guitar. It's almost like it's a siren from Europe, like maybe not even an American siren. Like I'm oh. trying to, you know, when you watch a movie that takes place in England and you hear their sirens versus our sirens. But if there's definitely a character to it that makes me think about an ambulance driving away from an event. And then the rest of the song plays out and ends very slow as if somebody's just like, they're not surviving this event. I've only seen them play this twice. One of which was in Europe, actually, in, in England. This is the only track on the album that, that has vocals, actually. They call them gang vocals uh, on an album. Um, if it's just like a, a group of people kind of chanting, just like, ah, ah, ah. it's the same melody that was in Mountain House, um, like I was saying before. Ah. On, on on kind of concept not that this is a concept album but a lot of albums like this they'll have a, the last track is like a reprise or something so the hopefulness of mountain house comes back here it's it's pretty much the same melody if, if in, in progression if you ask me so hearing this one live is huge either in a tiny little bar in Gainesville 
it was at a bar called 1982 is where I booked them. It's like a tiny DIY punk venue. So I booked them there and then I saw them on stage at a festival in England that I, that I, that I love to go to after they kind of gained some more recognition. And they closed both those sets with this song. But I booked this band seven years ago now. At the time of the tour, it was five years ago. I booked them once in 2014. I booked them once. They, they remembered that show as being their favorite show of the tour. And they hit me up five years later saying like, hey man, we've kind of kept in touch. We remember how that show felt. And, and uh, we're at the point where we can hire someone to come on the road with us. We want it to be you. And the memory I hold from that show is, is the ending of this song, Spencer and Dan screaming into the microphones and this tiny little bar in Gainesville, Florida, chanting this lyricless music at this band who have experienced this rebirth. This was the first tour they did on this album after three years of no activity publicly. This song drives that home for me like crazy. I got to tell you, it's been a lot of fun, not only going through this album, which I think is radically different from anything else we've tried on this. I mean, it's a, it's a real musical leap in a good way. And part of why I wanted to do this was to hear things that I don't have access to or wouldn't have access to otherwise. So I'm just really stoked to have had an opportunity to do this. I love backstories. I love personal stories. I think uh, that you got to go out with these guys on tour is just fantastic. And we did a lot of speculating today. So I'll toss it out there that if, uh, if anything we've uh, said <laughs> is crazy, or if somebody wants to come defend uh, their songwriting based on our piddly interpretations of it will be delighted to have anybody come on and go nah that's nothing like what we were talking about absolutely we would love that i think art's in subject to interpretation and i think part of what we've done as this has evolved as the podcast has evolved is really look at the songs as literary pieces and even interpreting lyrics as poetry and things like that and so this one's hard there's no lyrics so we're trying to interpret music as poetry like i said i have a complicated relationship with this album and the album deserves to have a complicated relationship. I think not everybody's going to listen to this and love it, but I hope people will give it a listen and try it because I think it's a really interesting approach to music. And um, I was delighted to have the opportunity. And I'm so glad you came on and, and uh, shared this with us, Matt. It's, it's awesome. Dad, if you, don't, if you don't mind, I would like to invite Matt to be our, our official Pops on Hops post-rock correspondent. Um, if you would accept that title. I love it. You don't have a job description. I, we're, this is an open invite to come back and, you know, pitch us another album whenever you would like. And, and not only that, I think um, feel free to, uh, we can do them behind the scenes from the road too. So if you're backstage somewhere and you want to jump on a Zoom call and, and, and do something, that'd be cool too. That, that'd be great. Yeah, a little, little peek into uh, peek into the, the live world when I, when I get back to it. Okay. We have some final business to wrap up. We need to rate our last beer first and foremost. So let's go ahead and do that. I like this more than say a Guinness and I would give a Guinness a three, seven, five. So I'm giving invasive species a four. Wow. And I think it's that it's a slightly sweet, you know, if it was completely dry, I'd give it a three, seven, five, but it's, it's, bumping up against my favorite category, which is sweets down. So somewhere I wouldn't say in between, but it's leaning, it's leaning toward my favorite category of stouts. And uh, so I'm going with a four on that one. I'm going to go with a three, five, which um, for Matt's information is my minimum for like, I enjoyed the experience of drinking this. I did enjoy the experience of drinking this, but that's about it. <laughs> I will say it's better cold 
the warmer it got, the less I liked it. And we did talk a lot. So it had plenty of time to warm up. Oh, so weird. Cause I had the opposite reaction. I like those darker beers to be a little warmer. So yeah, I might, that to me grew on me the warmer it got. This gets a 4.25. I'm going to amend the square lager down to a 4.0 because this needs to be in the middle of the square and the chai or the high. Listen, I knew when you gave that square lager that high of a rating that things were looking bad for you. We all make mistakes. I'm sorry, Square. You got it. Solid B. So four. This one, the invasive species, 4.25. So 4.5 for the chai for me. So all right. Yeah. All right. Solid ratings for Matt. Next order of business. Dad, you have to assign me an album. I'm going to assign to you business as usual by Men at Work. Ah, Men at Work. Yes, Men at Work. Is that the album that has Down Under on it? Yes, it is. It is the okay. album. It was their introductory album. Oh, okay. first album. And a massive hit both abroad and here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, the polar opposite of what we just <laughs> listened to. <laughs> Wow, I um I'm not sure I know any other songs on that album. There was two big singles on the album. You might recognize the other single. It's classified as new wave, and I to this day don't understand why it's considered new wave, but hopefully you'll like the album a lot. It's a it's I'm a excited. Matt, is there anything you would like to plug your social media or anything else you're working on? I'm moving to Nashville with a band called Arrows in Action. Go check out Arrows in Action. They're like a pop rock, power pop band from Gainesville, Florida, where me and Abigail live. Everyone will love Arrows in Action. They're, they're very much built that way. So that's who I'm moving to Nashville with. I hope to be on the road with them as soon as possible. Love it. Well, you can find us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. And we're still promoting our brand new website, which has bonus photos and videos and extra fun content from each of our episodes that will always also be linked in the show notes on behalf of Hops. And Pops. And Matt Martyr. We'll see you next time. Bye. We did meet on a dating app. We buried that lead. (laughs) We did, yeah. Wait, what?